You guys can be seated. I do have a green light. There we go. Keep talking? Well, thank you to the worship team. Deb, you never have to worry about reading God's Word. <laughs> and if anybody's interested, the scroll represents all of God's eternal plans and represents his plans of redemption for his people. And so if you're one of his children this morning, if you are submitting to Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're part of God's eternal purposes. Are we good to go, Robin? I'm on, but I'm crackly. Is this one on? All right. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who is worthy. Worthy of all the praise we can muster. Worthy of all the glory that you display in the creation around us. Worthy because of your son, Jesus Christ, who procured redemption for all of God's people through all the ages. We are humbled before you this morning, Father, and I pray that we, as we focus, have focused on you, we'll be able to quiet our hearts and just push off the cares and concerns of our week to be able to again focus on you and your word. Thank you that your word speaks truth to us. I pray, Father, that your servant this morning would be humble before you and speak your words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kids, you can go. Kids zone? They're already gone? I didn't remind them to give me snacks. Thank you. How are we now? We better? Yeah. That good? All right. Well, this will just have to flop around because I'm not going to try to get dressed again <laughs> in front of everybody. We're in the book of Proverbs this morning. Proverbs is what we call wisdom literature. And our attribute of God that we're going to be speaking about this morning is wisdom. So I'm going to read a few verses from Proverbs chapter 3 and Proverbs chapter 8. If you're following in your Bibles, it's verse, in chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. And be aware that as we're reading these verses, when you hear her or she, the writer to the Proverbs is personifying wisdom. And wisdom is responding as a, as a woman. So when you hear... For the gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. 
Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And then over to chapter 8 and verse 22. The Lord possessed me, that's wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages to go, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. Wisdom was like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the sons of men. Matt, would you be able to start the clock for me? On September 23rd, 1999, after 10 months of space travel, NASA's Mars Climate Orbiter reached the red planet. The $125 million spacecraft was designed to study the Martian atmosphere and act as a communication relay between Earth and future missions to the red planet. As the probe started to descend into the orbit around Mars, however, it accelerated too quickly and burned up, never to be heard from again. An investigation followed, and the cause of the crash was revealed to be a conflict in standards between two engineering groups. See, the engineers at Lockheed Martin, who designed and built the probe, had worked on the English system of feet and inches and pounds. They transmitted the data to NASA, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, on the proper use of the probe, but the engineers in NASA worked in the metric system, meters and newtons. And so they directed the probe to accelerate too quickly. They had the right data, but they evaluated it based on the wrong standard. They had the right knowledge but the wrong standard to evaluate that knowledge led to disastrous consequences. Standards are ideals that we measure things against to make informed decisions. We all have standards that, whether we know it or not, that we use to live our lives. We have standards for morality, standards for success, and we have standards for parenting. When we look at a piece of art, Deciding whether it's art or monkey scratch depends on your standard for beauty. This painting sold about 12 years ago for $140 million. You decide whether a person got paid or a monkey. <laughs> now in this sermon series, we're getting to know God better by understanding his character. We've learned so far that God is all-powerful, that he's all-knowing and that he's always present everywhere in his creation. 
Two weeks ago, Keith introduced us to the sovereignty of God. And we learned that God uses his infinite power to rule over his creation and accomplish his primary goal, which is to bring himself glory. Now God's glory, we said, was, is the fullest expression of all of God's attributes. Eric picked up on that definition last week when he introduced us to God's love, which so overflows from God's perfect nature that he brings himself glory when he expresses that love to his people. The We've heard a lot of other phrases in this series. We've heard things like, the pursuit of God's glory is best for me. The pursuit of God's, God's work, or the way God works his will is good for me. Paul was even able to say in Romans 8, 28, that we know with confidence that work, God works for the good of those who love him. But I've been struggling with that a little bit so far, even in the, my own sermons that I preach. See, the question that comes to me is, is God wise enough for me to accept his definition of good and best? I don't know about you, but the reality of living in this world is that there are a lot of things that goes, goes on with me and around me that by my standards seem anything but good. So how can we come to a place of confidence in God as the standard for good and best? I hope we find a starting place this morning when we consider God's wisdom. And this is our big idea this morning. Because God is the standard for wisdom, I can be confident that his ways are best. And we'll look at wisdom under three headings. God defines wisdom, God demonstrates wisdom, and God distributes wisdom. So number one, God defines wisdom. First we have to ask, what, what is wisdom? Well, let's work on this definition to start. Wisdom uses knowledge and experience to choose what we think is the best goal and the best way to accomplish that goal. It uses knowledge and experience. Think about someone that you might consider to be wise. Maybe it's a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it's a mentor at work or a guidance counselor in your school. Why do you think they're wise? Well, I think there's two reasons that come straight out of our definition. <clears throat> they have enough knowledge about the subject that we need help with, and they have enough experience in using that knowledge. You might say they've been around the block a few times. My grandfather was <clears throat> a man who'd been around the block a few times. He was, he was a salt of the earth kind of man, just a lot of practical wisdom. And one night uh, when he was in the hospital, Robin and I found ourselves going up the northeast extension of the turnpike. It was dark and it was winter. And we kept seeing all these deer eating right along the edge of the road. And it just wasn't one, it was herds of them. And we were asking ourselves, why would the deer, when they have a whole forest, eat right next to the passing cars? And I said, I'll ask my grandfather, he'll know. So we got to the, his hospital bed and he was able to speak at that time. This is, right, this is before he passed away. I said, Grandpa, why did the deer eat by the road? And he said, it's the salt. Deer need salt in their diet, and they know it. So we put salt on the road, we throw it up on the edge of the road when the plows go by, and the deer are drawn to it. And so he was able to put knowledge 
with experience can give us a wise answer. When we go to someone for advice, we're trusting them to choose the best course of action based on their experience and the information they have at the time. But we have to acknowledge that their wisdom is limited because we're limited ourselves as people. Their advice might be sound in the moment, but if new information comes in or circumstances change, it might be a different story. You see, with human wisdom, there's always an element of uncertainty because of our limitations. Robin and I are at the stage of parenting where we do a lot of retrospect, a lot of looking back. And we have some conversations, even with Andrew sometimes, and we're realizing now the mistakes we've made. And when we think about those mistakes, we have to always often conclude we made the best decision we could at the time with the knowledge that we had. See, for human beings, things become clear in hindsight because, again, because we're limited. Well, we're fortunate that our God does not have those limitations. As to knowledge, he's, omnipotent, uh, he's omniscient. There's nothing past, present, or future that escapes him. He knows all possibilities, and he knows all potential outcomes. As for experience, because God is all-powerful, in his providence, which Keith spoke about, he determines the outcome of events so that there can be no surprises with God. There's no best guess with God's wisdom. There's only certainty. Isaiah 46.10 has cropped up several times in this series where God himself says, I declare the end from the beginning, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. Now, because wisdom is part of God's very nature, it's not just that God has wisdom. God is wisdom. Look back at Proverbs 8 in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Wisdom here, again, personified as a woman, tells us that before creation, when only the triune God existed, wisdom was there. It's not part of creation, but it comes from outside the created order. It flows from the character of God. And so because God is wisdom, all wisdom that even exists comes from him. Because God is wisdom, he's the standard against which all other wisdom is to be measured. It's the same which God, of, with God's love that Eric spoke about last week. It's the same as God's goodness, which Dave will speak about next week. They're all characters, characteristics of God where he is the standard. And so we're in error if we evaluate love or goodness or wisdom by any standard than God's. So let's refine our definition a bit to suit our infinite God. It says God's wisdom is his unique ability. That means only God has it. His unique ability to always choose the best goals and the best means to accomplish those goals. Now, it's one thing to say that this is true, but can it be proven? That's my question. 
It's one thing to say something, but can it be proven? Well, God is a gracious and a patient God. He understands my doubts, and he's taken the time to demonstrate his wisdom in a variety of ways that can bring me to a place of confidence in him. There's four ways we'll look at this morning. First, he demonstrates his wisdom through creation. Proverbs 3 and verse 19 that we read says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. See, in, create, in the creation account in Genesis 1 and following, there's seven times that God says, it was good, it was good, it was very good. See, there's no part of creation, if we honestly take the time to observe it, that won't blow our minds with how intricately and beautifully that creation has been formed. Robin and I love to feed the critters out back in our yard. We enjoy them coming to our house, rabbits and squirrels and, and uh, birds of all kinds. And we like to just sit in the back windows and watch them. And if you take the time to just study them, you learn some amazing things. Two things we learned this year already that we hadn't seen before. First, we saw a daddy cardinal feeding two juvenile cardinals. And they were on the ground with their mouths open, hopping up and down. And dad was under the bird feeder and he would patiently root through the seed to get the right seed. And then he'd drop it in the one's mouth. And then he'd patiently get some more seed and he'd drop it in another mouth. And I looked it up and apparently with cardinals, mom and dad are monogamous and they take, both take a great deal of care in raising their young. And we were amazed that God had programmed them that way to do that. Well, I was doing some transplanting of some bushes. This isn't the picture. I wasn't able to get it fast enough. This is a different picture. And I left a pile of dirt on top of the mulch. And I looked out one day and there were two juvenile rabbits just rolling around in that dirt for all they were worth. I thought, that's kind of a strange thing to do. Why would one do that? So I looked it up. God has programmed the rabbits to take dust baths. It cleans the oils off their furs. It removes, you know, ticks and parasites and fleas and things like that. And God's programmed them to do that. And that's just, that's just amazing to me. His creation is so, the wisdom in his creation is so evident that David can say in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, God is also demonstrates wisdom through his word. God's given us a written account of his wise dealings with humanity. And it starts at creation and it goes to new creation so that we can be confident that his ways are best. If you have any questions about having confidence in God's word, Robin Howworth taught a great discovery class called Proper Confidence. And I would really encourage you to go to our website and get, and get that and listen to it again. But then in his word, he's given a specific literature that we call wisdom literature. The book of Proverbs is one of those books. And it's full of practical wisdom for daily living. And the book is really worth a good read by all of us every once in a while. Well, third way he demonstrates his wisdom is through his son. The pinnacle of God's demonstration of wisdom is the incarnation and cross work of Jesus Christ. 
You see, only God could be wise enough to, to craft a plan of redemption where on one hand, he expresses his anger and his justice at sin, but on the other hand, expresses a deep love for the people that he's in the business of saving. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, because of God, you, his people, are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And then we have wisdom through his people. Paul says in Ephesians 3.10, excuse me, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. You see, when we carry out the mission of the church, which is to carry the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying generation, we're proclaiming God's wisdom to that generation. And as Deb mentioned this morning about the testimony of God's people, whenever we testify like we do in communion services, whenever we testify to one another about the providential ways that God has worked in our lives and we give him glory for it, we're declaring his wisdom to one another. We're telling each other, God's ways are best. God's ways are good. A couple of weeks ago, Andrew called me to the basement and there was water all over the one side of the basement. And it was leaking from our furnace where the air conditioner is. <clears throat> and my first thought, as a man, I'm gonna tear the thing apart and fix it. Well, my wife wisely encouraged me to exercise some wisdom and call Mike, our HVAC guy. So I called Mike and he said, yeah, I can come over in the morning, no problem. Now the interesting thing about that interaction is I didn't call around to get bids. I never even asked Mike what it would cost him. I just asked him to come over. And the reason is that Mike has a proven track record, record of doing work in our house that's good work that we feel is at a reasonable price. So I can trust him because of his track record. <clears throat> God demonstrates his wisdom to us so that we can have complete confidence in him. And, the, and we can have confidence that the pursuit of God's glory is best for us. It's confidence the Bible calls faith. And faith for the Christian is not blind or unfounded. No, it rests with confidence in an infinite God who doesn't change his character. That brings us to number three. God distributes wisdom. So, so have we come far enough that we all buy in wholeheartedly to our big idea? Do we come in whole, can we wholeheartedly say that because God's the standard of wisdom, I can be confident that his ways are best. Well, if you have, I'm glad, because you're a bit beyond me. You see, I know up here that God is wise, but here has trouble following my head. It's hard for the emotions to come along. See, God's wisdom is hard to swallow when it still seems like he could be making better choices for me than he does. I'm like the NASA engineers. I, I seem to have all the facts, but I interpret those facts very differently than God does. Well, Paul addresses this struggle in 1 Corinthians. 
first couple of chapters, this particular 1 Corinthians, are really worth a read if you want to dig into this. Paul says, for the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, Paul draws an important distinction between human wisdom, what he will call wisdom of the world, and God's wisdom. See, because we're created in his image, we have the capacity to gain wisdom, and he, but because we're limited, our wisdom's limited. And though society has increased in knowledge over the centuries, increase of knowledge definitely does not mean increase in wisdom. One only needs to Google the phenomenon called the Florida man. Now, kids, don't Google anything that you don't talk to your parents about. But what I did, this comes, it's really a thing. Florida man injured after sticking his arm in a Jaguar pen at the local zoo. And you read later that he jumped the safety fence, reached his arm in the Jaguar, and was taunting him. And I'm sure he was completely surprised that the Jaguar started to eat him. <laughs> Why would the Jaguar do that? Complete and utter lack of wisdom. So we're not there yet as a species. And more than lacking in wisdom, our sin really blinds us to God's wisdom. And in our pride, we really want to say that we know better than God. See, what we need is God's wisdom. God understands that need, and he graciously goes beyond simply demonstrating his wisdom and then leaving it up to us to come to grips with it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he continues, Now we, that's God's people, have received the, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the gift that Jesus Christ promised to his people. That we understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths for those who are spiritual. See, through the Holy Spirit, God freely shares his perfect wisdom with his people so that we can confidently, confidently navigate whatever path he has for us. But how do we get it? Because I often feel like I don't have it. Well, the Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom when we simply ask. The book of James is New Testament wisdom literature. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, again, addressing God's people, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let that sink in for a minute. All we have to do is ask. But is it really that easy? Yeah, how many times have we prayed to God for wisdom and don't really feel like we're any better off on the other side? Don't really feel like we understand what's going on. Don't really feel like God's ways are really best. Is it because the Holy Spirit's asleep at the wheel? Or maybe it's because my faith is so frail that I just don't get it. Well, see, there's a problem in that we like verse 5, but we forget there's a verse 6 through 8. You see, there's a but there. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So has James just put us in a catch-22 situation? You know, I need God's wisdom so that I can trust him. But he won't give me his wisdom unless I trust him. How's that work? If that's the case, if it's a catch-22, I'm a lost cause. Well, fortunately, that's not at all what James means in this passage. What he means is that we can confidently expect to receive wisdom when we ask in faith. Now, what does that mean? It means that we go to God already committed to trust what he gives us and follow where he leads us. If we go to God in humility, saying, God, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. What you want me to do, I'll do. That's the spirit in which God says, I will pour my wisdom into you. It doesn't mean we'll always understand. That's part of faith, is trusting and being confident in him. Jesus modeled this perfectly for us on the night before his death on the cross. It's worthwhile reading Jesus' prayers on that evening. But in one prayer, in his humanity, he says this, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. See, in his, in his, in his humility as a human being, the Son of God was able to honestly pray, God, I know what's coming, and I'm, I'm dreading it. Is there any way this can pass? But he's not double-minded like James talks about. Jesus continued, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And God gave him wisdom to understand in his humanity that his plan of redemption was best. And he willingly followed to the cross. See, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Maybe our prayers sound like this sometimes. God, give me the wisdom to get out of this jam. You know, I don't like this trial, so give me the wisdom to get out of it. Or maybe, God, why would you do this to me when I clearly don't deserve it? Maybe our prayers should more reflect the book of James and sound like this. Lord, show me how I might glorify you in this trial. Show me how to be obedient to you in the decisions that I have to make. God, show me how to be a reflection of the love of Christ in this relationship that I find so difficult. And with those prayers, if we're humbly committed to do and believe what God reveals to us, he's promised to give us the wisdom. We don't always see someone's prayer life But I guarantee you, you can see what kind of prayers God's people are praying because it comes out in their character. My dad was recently um, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he's been through surgery. He's going through the chemo right now. I was just up to see him this week. And I'll tell you, I have been blown away and humbled by my father in this situation. From the beginning, 
from the first diagnosis, praising God for his wisdom, praising God for his grace. You see, well, instead of saying, God, why did you do this to me? This is horrible and going into a depression over it. He's seen God work. See, what he'll tell you in the story is, God gave me the worst kidney stone I ever had in my life. And because God gave me the kidney stone, I had to be hospitalized. And because God hospitalized me, they did a scan. And because they did a scan, someone looking at my kidney saw a shadow where it shouldn't be. And because they show us shadow, they did saw a shadow, they did some more testing. And they were able to diagnose stage one pancreatic cancer, which the doctors say never happens. It was found by accident. But my father will proclaim that there are no accidents. And then he'll go on to, 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 to say how good God is that they were able to get to the right surgeon right away and have it removed. And he's praised the Lord just this week that his chemo is so close to his house and he doesn't have to go a long distance. I got a lot to learn from my dad still. And because God's goal of bringing himself glory will always be accomplished by the best means possible, we can be confident that our prayers of humility and faith will always be answered with an outflowing of God's wisdom. So as we bring this to a, conclu a conclusion, I can th still think of two possible objections you might have to this sermon. And I have one question to challenge us all. The question is, comes first. The title of the message is, By What Standard? And I think we should ask ourselves, by what standard are we making value judgments about the way God runs his universe? And including the way God directs my life. By what standard? Are we using limited human wisdom? Or what Paul says is the wisdom of the world, the culture around us? Are we using our own reason to decide whether God is good or best? If we look to an infinite God as our standard of wisdom, then we can be certain even when we don't understand. And that's so important. God allows us through faith to trust him confidently even when we don't understand because we can be confident that the pursuit of his glory will be accomplished in my life and that's best for me. One way we can tell if we're using the wrong standard of wisdom is think about when we have to make a decision, whether that's personally or maybe as a ministry team here at church when you gather together and have to make decisions about ministry. Is our first reaction to say, let me pray before God and seek wisdom in this area? Or am I just content to figure it out on my own? That's an indication of where we go for wisdom. But you might have an objection. You might say, but Gene, my faith is so frail and weak that I don't know if I even have enough to ask God for wisdom. Well, be encouraged because the Bible gives us a doubter's prayer. Prayer for us that even a weak, a confidence that even a weak faith can cry out for more. 
See, Jesus had an interaction with a dad in Mark chapter 9. Father came to Jesus and his son was tormented for years by demons, trying to kill him, trying to hurt him. Nobody could help him. And the father said, Jesus, can you help? And essentially Jesus said, I can if you believe in me. And this is what the father cried out. I believe, help my unbelief. And that was enough for Jesus to completely heal his son. So don't worry about a, a faith hanging by a thread. If you are God's, one of God's people, you always have enough to go to him and seek wisdom when we do it with humility. Well, the second option, uh, objection may be, but Gene, you don't know how bad my experience has been. What God has put me through is unconscionable. That may be the case. And going through those experiences, you might have two responses. You might say, I'm so angry at God that I don't know if I'll ever be able to trust him enough. Or you might say, I'm so hurt and in despair, I just can't bring myself to trust him completely. Well, I hear you because I've been there. And for myself, I chose the angry route. There was a time many years ago when it seemed like life was closing in on us through a variety of circumstances. And something happened one day that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I can remember very distinctly in a rage, grabbing my Bible, flying out the door, getting in my car, and driving over towards High Rocks Park. And I made God aware on the way over that we were going to have a reckoning. And that he was going to stand before me and give me some answers. I got there and I climbed down over the rocks, a nice sunny spot. And I opened to the book of Job, which is also wisdom literature. Job had some complaints about God. His friends had some complaints about God. They didn't understand why all this was happening. And, and I demanded God, give me an answer. Well, I got to his answer in the book of Job. Four chapters worth. Where God said to me, like he said to Job, stand up. You have so much wisdom in yourself, I'm going to question you. Where were you, Gene, when the earth was created? Where were you when I laid its foundations? Where were you when I set the stars in their place? Where were you when I created the great ocean creatures and set them about their lives? Where were you when I created the land creatures and set them free and told them how to live? Where were you when I put the snow in the heavens? Where were you when I direct the thunderclouds? And as God talked, I shrank and became more humble and more humble more humble. Till at the end, I could answer like Job did in Job 42. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I had heard of you by the hearing of your ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I left that encounter with no answers, but God humbled me and gave me some trust. So whether you're angry or in despair, sometimes the trials that we're experiencing are the very means God uses us to humble, to humble God uses to humble us. 
enough that we're ready for his wisdom. And we can cry out, we always cry out with that feeble faith, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we've seen your wisdom this morning and have been blown away by your character. God, we confess that we think we're wise in our own eyes and we judge you for how you run your universe. I pray that we would all experience a humbling by the power of the Holy Spirit so that by faith we can accept your ways are best and then we can give testimony to others that that is true. Thank you for being just the God that you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please join us um, by standing. We're going to 